0: If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, please turn with me to Malachi chapter 1. I'm excited this morning to begin a new sermon series from this book of Malachi, but I also realize that I might be uh, the only one excited about this, because for many of you, I am doubting uh, that Malachi is is probably your favorite book of the Bible. Uh, Malachi is kind of one of those little books toward the end of the Old Testament that we don't know very well. Maybe you don't even know entirely uh, where to find it. But Malachi is a pretty unique book. Uh, Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament. So if you're trying to find it this morning, if you can find Matthew, uh, just go back one chapter and you'll find Malachi there uh, as the bookend to the Old Testament. In fact, following this book, uh, there will be 400 years of silence from God. If we believe that Scripture is the revelation of God, God revealing Himself, speaking into us, uh, then Malachi is the last time God will speak until we hear the cry of a baby in a manger. But in addition to that, Malachi is also unique because uh, not only is it the, the last book in the Old Testament, but it's a very conversational book. Uh, it, looking at this book, we'll see a, a conversation happening between God and the people of Israel. It's kind of a, a question and answer, a Q&A with God. God will make a statement, the people will respond and question him about it, and God will calm their uh, anxieties or or speak truth into their question. But really what I like most about Malachi uh, is that this book is both real and raw. There are tough answers and tough questions in this book about hardship and faithfulness in the midst of difficulty. Now, just kind of getting a sense for this book, I want to kind of take a, a bird's eye view and look at this from a, a kind of a background perspective. Uh, Malachi is a is a post-exilic prophet. I know some of you are thinking. Uh, I think I know somebody that has that. You can get a prescription for that, right? Post-exilic. It's post-exilic uh, is not a mental disorder. Uh, it's it's speaking of a time in Israel's history that Malachi is, is being the mouthpiece of God, a messenger for God. Uh, After the people of Israel have returned from exile. If you don't know what I'm referring to when I speak of exile, in uh, 598 BC, 598 years or or thereabouts before Christ would come, uh, God would allow the Babylonian Empire to take the nation of Israel into captivity. After hundreds of years of God pleading with Israel to remain faithful and to remain true to his word, finally, uh, he has to do something. Because of their sin and idolatry, uh, God will use Babylon, this, this empire at the time, to enact judgment upon his people. Uh, finally, to, to make them wake up to their unfaithfulness and to call them into repentance, God will use Babylon to remove Israel from the promised land. But because of God's mercy and because of his faithfulness to his promise and to his covenant, this exile will not be the end for Israel. After 70 years, a remnant of Israel will, will return back to this promised land, back to their homes. But this isn't like returning home after a long vacation or a long trip. They, they don't open their creaky front doors, dust off a few things, and settle back into normal life. The majority of the city had been destroyed. The walls protecting the city were gone. The temple had been leveled, and most of their homes were rubble. And so God used this as an opportunity to raise up men like Malachi, to be his prophets, to be his mouthpieces and messengers to the people, to give them messages of encouragement and challenge them to live the way that God had called them to live. After this wake-up call of exile and captivity, God was using men like Malachi to call people back to him. That's really why I've called this series Return to Me. Because we see in this book, the people of Israel, in the book of Malachi, had, had returned to their land, but their hearts had not yet returned to God. The people had returned to their land, but their hearts hadn't returned to God. And so Malachi, being God's mouthpiece, is calling people back to God's standard, back to God's heart. We see clearly this, this morning, this first few verses of Malachi, God telling them, the foundation of their relationship with Him, God tells them, I have loved you. God starts with these people in hardship and difficulty by reminding them of His heart for them, His love for them. Now, anytime someone says, I love you, uh, there's kind of a certain amount of risk involved, especially if you're telling someone, I love you for the first time. You know, what if what if they don't feel the same way? Uh, what What if... You know, they don't say it back. What if I've misread all of the signals? Uh, Now, my my family, we're big I love you people, which means uh, we say it to each other frequently and and we say it back. You know, I love you too. But that's not always the case. That's not always everyone's story. I remember uh, watching... Uh, that classic, The Empire Strikes Back, that second movie in the Star Wars franchise for the first time. And at the end, this pivotal moment of the movie, uh, Princess Leia confesses her love for Han Solo with this very tender, I love you. Uh, to which he suavely responds, I know. And I thought, what, what kind of response is that? Uh, but that's not even really the worst thing that can happen Uh, When you tell someone I love you, I looked up this week on the internet some kind of I love you horror stories I wanted to share with you. Uh, One person said, after I confessed my feelings to my girlfriend, she asked me, are you sure you're not just lonely? He probably was quickly after that. Uh, Someone else said, so last night I told my boyfriend I love you for the first time and he said, okay, drive safe. (laughs) I guess safety first. Uh, my favorite one is, is this guy who said, I, I definitely said it too soon. I was in middle school, and she said something so stupid and funny uh, that I got to laughing, and so I just said, gosh, I love you, and she said, what? And I panicked and corrected to, I love blue. And I spent the next 20 minutes trying to convince her that I was really into this one shade of blue by pointing around to different blues and saying, no, darker than that or or more intense. Uh, you see, this saying, I love you, is is a a vulnerable position. Uh, You don't know how someone is going to respond. But actually, Israel's response to this I love you of God is even worse than these stories. Verse 2 says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, but Israel asks, how have you loved us? Israel's response to God's great I love you is, how? How have you loved us? They look around at their city and their circumstances and they say, This, this God, is your love for us. Jerusalem, their city, had been destroyed. Some of their neighbors never came back home. The temple, God's presence among them, is but a mere shadow of its former glory. Many of them are are selling themselves or their children into indentured servitude to pay their debts and their taxes to their overlords. And this was hardly the glorious return that they were anticipating after 70 years. And at first their words kind of sound selfish to us. I mean, how could they doubt God's love? After all that God had done for them, all of the patience and forbearance, after being so faithful when they were so faithless, how could they question God's love? But aren't there times where we may be tempted to doubt God's love in our own circumstances as well? I mean, it's hard to hear God's I love you when you're standing next to your wife's casket. It's hard to hear God's I love you when you're told that the cancer is back. It's hard to hear God's I love you when it's yet another negative pregnancy test. But in these moments, when our, our circumstances are eclipsing God's love, God says, I love you because I chose you to be mine. And this is what he tells Israel. Again, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? God responds, was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Now, this is probably not what you were expecting to hear when it comes to God ensuring his love. I mean, Jacob and Esau and Israel and Edom, what what does that have to do with anything? It would be like somebody coming to me uh, as a minister, as a pastor for counseling and coming into my office and just saying, you know, I, I just don't really feel like God loves me. And me responding, well, don't you worry because God chose Jacob. <laughs> it just is not very comforting at first. But to, but to understand how Jacob and Esau and all of this language factors into God's love, we have to first understand uh, the narrative of God's story, uh, particularly in Genesis In Genesis chapter 12, God chooses a man named Abraham to be the father of this great nation that will be a blessing to all people. That through Abraham's descendants, though Abraham and his wife Sarah have not been able to have children, God will raise up a whole nation more numerous than the stars in the sky to be a blessing to the world. Through Abraham, God will raise up a nation of his descendants that will have this special favor. He will reveal himself to them and provide for them and protect them and set them apart from every nation on earth, making them holy for the sole purpose of being a blessing to the entire world. And so this promise begins with Abraham and continues through his descendants Isaac, his son Isaac. And then Isaac has two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Even though just by minutes, Esau would be the older of the two. Which, if you were living in that time, would mean that you would know that Esau would have special favor as the older son. He would receive a special honor, a special blessing from his father. He would receive the greater portion of the inheritance. Esau, by all accounts, would be the one to watch. That he was destined for great things because he had God's favor. But in reality, when we look at Scripture, we see that God had other plans. Romans chapter 5, Paul looking back on the story says this, he says, Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, Rebekah, their mother, was told the older will serve the younger. Esau would not be the one to watch because God had chosen Jacob to be the one, the younger son through whom he would raise up the special nation." God chose Jacob, not Esau, to be the one who would carry on his promise. In fact, God would even eventually give Jacob a very special name, the name Israel. But what's really remarkable in all of this, God's choice uh, over picking Jacob over Esau, what makes it all the more surprising is that Jacob really wasn't a very good guy. He wasn't a, a very morally impeccable person. It wasn't that God looked at these two brothers and said, I know that Jacob will turn out to be this squeaky clean boy scout, and and Esau will be kind of rough, and so I really want to use this really good guy uh, to be the father of my nation. In reality, Jacob was a swindler and a liar and a cheat. In fact, when the time would come, as Isaac, their father, was nearing death, Uh, he was unable to see, he had been blinded in his old age, Jacob would cover himself in goatskin because his brother was very hairy. And he would use this to trick his father into giving him, the younger son, the blessing of the older son. You see, just like God chose his love for Jacob, despite the fact that he had done nothing to deserve it and had done everything to lose it, God would continue to choose his descendants, Israel, over and over again. The Bible has a specific word for this. It's the word covenant A covenant is a special promise from God. It's his way of saying, I I choose you and I love you, and it's not based on your loveliness or anything you can do, but solely on my grace, on my choice. We see a a parallel to this kind of covenant in in marriage. Marriage is not based, the best marriages, marriages that last are not based on feelings or, or the loveliness of your spouse, but marriage is based on a promise this perfect picture this perfect mixture between love and law that says even when you're unlovable still i have chosen to covenant myself with you to align myself with you to connect my life with yours that's why god can can say something like i have loved jacob but esau i have hated and he, and he's not in this moment saying you know well jacob's a, a swell guy but man that esau i just he is the worst now what he's saying Is that by my covenant, by my promise, I have committed myself to Jacob. I have committed myself to Israel. My loyalty lies with them. It's the same concept that Jesus has in Luke 14, 26, when he says, If anyone comes to me, comes after me, wants to be my disciple, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not saying, you know, to be my disciple, you have to just despise everyone except for me, to, to treat your parents terribly, to neglect them, to, to be a bad husband and a bad father. No, he's saying your loyalty, your commitment, your devotion, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to love me, all of those things, your allegiance has to be to me first. We tend to think of, of love and hate as emotions and sentiment, but biblically speaking, love is choosing the good of one over the other. And so in this moment when Israel says to God, how have you loved us? God says, look around. I know that your circumstances are are eclipsing my love, but look around because you're still here and I'm still here with you. He says, Edom, this, this nation, Esau's descendants, just as Jacob's descendants were Israel, Edom uh, were the descendants of Esau. He says, they will be lost to history despite their best attempts to rebuild. But he tells Israel, you will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. Now I understand this morning, we maybe need to, to break this down a little bit. <laughs> what What is this all mean exile and covenant and Jacob and Esau and Israel and Edom. I know it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose. But what it comes down to is this. Israel had allowed their present circumstances to drown out God's great I love you. They looked around and they said, God, I know you say you love me, but I can't help but feel like if you loved me, my life wouldn't look like this. And I think that is a feeling that all of us can relate to. I mean, who of us haven't looked at our lives at one point and thought, "If God, if this is your love, this isn't what I thought I was signing up for. You know, I, I thought if you loved me and I, I did things your way, I would have found Mr. Right by now. Or I, I thought if I... Love, if you love me and, and I did things your way, God, why do I keep getting passed over for the promotions at work? God, if you love me and, and, and I raised my kids to know your word and to be in your church, why are they so far from you now? And like Israel, all of these things can pile up and pile up until we feel like saying, God, how have you loved us? And if God's I love you is hard to hear this morning, I want to offer you the same encouragement that Malachi offers to Israel. To don't allow your present circumstances to drown out God's I love you. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Don't allow your present circumstances to drown out God's I love you. You see, when God tells Israel, you will see it with your own eyes And say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the border of Israel. As Christians, we get to know that reality. We read something like that and see that Jesus is on the way. He is the one who will make possible the glory of God to go beyond the borders of just this one nation, that He will make the blessing that God made to Abraham a reality. That every person in the world has its opportunity to be blessed because God set apart this special nation to raise up a special son, a savior, a messiah, God in the flesh. And if you were ever be tempted to doubt God's love for you, to say that question, how have you loved us? Then you need to look no further than the cross. The cross is. Is God's grandest and greatest and loudest, I love you. 1 John 4.9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The way that we know God loves us is because in Christ, God has chosen us. God has covenanted with us. And the evidence of God's love in our lives is this covenant in Christ, this gracious gift that whatever else may be happening around us, the cross shows us that we are loved and that we are chosen and that we are identified with him. When times are tough and we're surrounded by disappointment In despair, and doubt, God says to us, remember who you are, and remember whose you are, because you are loved. This morning, if it's hard to hear God's, I love you, I want to give you just kind of a few application points that you can think through. First, I want to tell you that when life gets loud, don't let the whispers of God's faithfulness get forgotten. We all come through seasons of life or times in life where things are hard and God's love can be kind of eclipsed by our circumstances, but don't allow those moments to let us forget about God's faithfulness in the past. Don't allow the hard times to overshadow the times where God has seen us through difficult circumstances in the past, times where God has come through and proven himself faithful. Secondly, I want to encourage you to remember God's covenant with us through Jesus. As Jesus is about uh, to die, as he's on his way to the cross, the night before, he has a meal with his disciples. It's a meal that we commemorate in communion, and Jesus tells them and tells us in that moment, he says, this is my body shed for you, and my, my, my blood shed for you, my body given for you as a sign of the covenant between God and man. That my life is a sign of a covenant that is being made new in your life. And in taking this meal and remembering this, it's a sign of God saying, look what I have given so that you might know my love. So that my love might not be written on tablets of stone, but by the human heart. Third, I want to encourage you to live with your eye on the future glory of God. To remember the promise of heaven. To remember even in the difficult circumstances that a day is coming when the dead will be raised and sickness will be no more and the present struggles will be muted and drowned out by the overwhelming joy of people coming to see God with their own eyes, of faith being made sight. Lastly, I want to encourage you that when life gets loud, to listen hard for God's I love you. Because maybe maybe you've lost God's I love you lately in a, in a sea of other noise. Maybe you're going through a season of discouragement or despair or distraction. And it's just hard to hear God's I love you. It's hard to look beyond your present circumstances and see God working in that difficulty. But the invitation I want to offer you this morning is that God is calling every heart with the same call that he gave to the people of Malachi's day. The call, return to me. Because God's love is available to each of us if we seek to receive it. If we will return to him. If you've kind of been far from God, or as I love you has been hard to hear, maybe what needs to happen is this return. Where you... Rededicate yourself. Maybe not in a formal sense. Maybe not in, in coming up and, 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 and making any kind of public declaration. But maybe just making a decision in your life that I need to get beyond these circumstances. To look beyond just this present situation I'm in and see God's great I love you and the cross of Christ. If that's the decision you need to make this morning or maybe it's a decision to accept God's love for the very first time. I'll be up front, some of our elders will be in the back. We'd love to talk with you about what that looks like. You see, each of us have been promised that God loves us. And in those moments when we're tempted to say, how have you loved us? Let us remember the great love of the cross and the great hope of the resurrection. So we might God, hear God saying into our lives, i have loved you let's pray heavenly father we are thankful for your overwhelming love for this love that speaks into our hearts into our lives even when circumstances are difficult god we know uh, in a in a head level that having committed our lives to you, doesn't mean life will be perfect. But sometimes on our heart level, it's hard to deal with the disappointment and discouragement when it isn't. God, I pray that if there's someone in this room this morning doubting your love for them, that they would hear clearly your words this morning, I have loved you. That from before the creation of the world, I have known you, I have created you, I have made you with a purpose, and I have loved you. God, I pray that in these moments when uh, it's hard to see your love or, or maybe we begin to doubt your care for us, that we would look to the cross and see your loudest, greatest, grandest I love you made plain, that you would give your life up in place of ours so that we might live eternally with you. God, I pray for those in this room that life's circumstances have kind of put this barrier between you and them that they would hear your call, return to me. Come close to me, draw near to me, so you might feel my love and feel my presence and know that I'm still here. God, we thank you for your love, the never stopping, never failing, never giving up love that has been revealed to each of us through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray this morning. Amen.